this is Amit Savkar. I'm the CEO of Stemify. Uh, just a quick background. I am actually a professor in residence at the University of Connecticut in the mathematics department. I have a PhD in mechanical engineering, and I also have a, currently a master's in uh, education psychology with uh, emphasis on measurement, evaluation, and assessment. And uh, I've been teaching mathematics in the university for over 13 years. And today, I'm actually starting a podcast to discuss AIM. And by AIM, I mean access, initiative, and motivation. While these three words have an incredible breadth and depth in education, it is also important that these words carry a lot of weight in the different verticals that I see in the different educational spaces that we have. I have invited Saul Marquez to be the host and the guest for this first podcast. He has hosted over 600 podcasts in his lifetime of interviewing various experts in healthcare industry. And today he's taking a deep dive into an industry which he has always had passion for and cares for deeply on various issues that have not only surfaced during the pandemic, but also in many cases amplified the need to have a conversation to find a meaningful path forward. Today, we will talk about aim to improve and stabilize education for all. Amit, thank you so much for the invitation to be part of your kickoff. Uh, it's, it's truly an honor uh, having seen a lot of the work being done behind the scenes at Stemify to help stabilize and improve education. I'm inspired by the theme of access initiative and motivation, and I'd love to dive into some of the aspects of that with you today. Can you share a little bit about your philosophy around who the important stakeholders are and what problem exists for them? That's a great question, uh, Saul. So to me, when I think about my philosophy and when it comes to the stakeholders, the first and the foremost stakeholder for me is always the student. The student is at the center with everyone else providing some form of help in many different facets of what a student goes through. And when I think about stakeholders in education, students, Professors, administrators, and the community become a part of that ecosystem. Now, when I think about stakeholders, I also think about the differentiation that we have. I mean, many times we think about education as K through 12 or K through 16, but the stakeholders' role and their influence on the children and students is significantly different at K through 12 than what it is when they come into the higher education. And with that comes the different problems that exist for them. I think it for many reasons that I believe access is one of the most critical aspects of what happens when you have students go through K through 16, whether the students have had access in their early ages to an education in the form that we believe is helpful and credible becomes a big part of what they experience through their K through 12 and when they are encountered with the higher education that they seek to get. Many times this access is the reason that the students don't even get to the point to be able to be in a higher education setting. From that perspective, I think the problem exists on different levels with different stakeholders at different times. But at the end of the day, it is the student who feels the brunt of this the most and in different ways, I believe. Yeah, that's uh, that's well said. And so as we think about the problem, how does initiative and motivation come into play there? Again, let's think about what initiative and motivation means. Let's say that a student who is highly motivated to get 
further in his or her education now is at a point he takes the initiative to let's say do well on his standardized tests let's call it sats an assumption that we have made just now is they have access to taking sats mm-hmm. they have access to the resources that prepare them to take these sats sats in a meaningful way and that they have had access to be able to perform well on that standardized test so now you have a student who had motivation to do well took the initiative to reach out and had the access and all three of them together made it possible for this student to take his credentials through his k through 12 into higher education now that's one case we can talk about that is successful believe me when i say that through my various interactions with underrepresented minority students there is no lack of motivation there is no lack of initiative but it is significantly hampered by the access that they have or they haven't had mm-hmm. and that is something that i want to focus on as we go through these different things that we are going to talk about because it is important that we make a deliberate attempt to provide the access to the students who already have motivation and initiative we can talk about how to create motivation and initiative which is another separate issue and what are the factors that influence this motivation what are the factors that influence initiative and whether those factors are purely cognitive and i believe they are not in fact there are more non cognitive factors such as ses socio economic status that significantly influence motivation and initiative and what that motivation and initiative is as it goes towards education can be very different from what that initiative and motivation is when the prospect is not just education but survival putting food on the table taking care of their siblings and there are so many of those that we can go into which are non cognitive but to say that uh, you know we will be able to address all of them right now is not going to be possible but that's where this aim focus will be to improve and stabilize education for all i love it what a great analysis there and and an explanation of why aim is the focus to help with stabilizing and improving education if you take a step back who would you say or or what would you say is to blame for the way things are now so sol i i don't uh, ever uh, like the word blame and i'll mm-hmm. explain to you why i don't think there is a room to place blame if you want to improve you have to think about instead of blame let's talk about responsibility and each of us each of us as in the stakeholders whether there is students whether there is parents whether there is educators such as professors and teachers administrators we all have a responsibility to do the right thing now i'm not naive to not think that the education is not a business it is a business no questions about it mm-hmm. but there are ways that we can be deliberate about making sure that we take responsibility of what we are doing and how we are doing it it is not always going to be easy because it's not like you know a oh, water seeks the easiest path to the lower levels right so mm-hmm. one thing that you have to think about is while the decisions that we make and the responsibilities that we take on may not be easy we still must try consciously to think about the various aspects that have gone into being where we are today and believe me we are not in a complete mess there are so many people at an individual level doing so many great things in education and that they are truly putting their heart and soul into what they want to bring 
as value addition to the students that they have in their classrooms outside of the classroom and creating curiosity and encouraging various different viewpoints there are people who are doing that and there are plenty who are doing that and yet we can also see on the other side that there is a lot more that can be done before putting a blame on the system i don't think there is any room for putting a blame but there is plenty of room to take responsibility and do what we can do to improve and stabilize the education yeah, that's so well said, Ahmed, and, I, and I'm glad you reframed that because responsibility will help us get more done. And, and as we take that responsibility amongst ourselves, what would you say we can do to, to make it better? I think it starts with understanding what it is that our students want. Mm-hmm. Do we even understand whether our students understand what education stands for? What does true education mean? Is it that we are trying to make them educated or literate in a certain area. Today, we see the word STEM in all over the place. STEM education, STEM education. But what does STEM education mean? STEM literacy is different from STEM education. I think it is important that we focus on the education part from the philosophical point of view where students understand why they are learning what they are learning and not just from the point of view of getting a grade, not just from the point of view of getting a job. It is about making what you learn count towards making a better society. Ultimately, we we as educators are trying to make the generation next to come and be better people in terms of how they are going to take this future of our society ahead, which means that when we want to make it better, we need to figure out what we can do to understand how students understand what education means to them. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it it does. And, you know, the approach of why, I mean, I think and reflect upon my own time at university and, you know, that question oftentimes remained unanswered and could have been more of of a beacon of why versus, you know, not really knowing. And so as you think about a high level plan that maybe we could consider, I know you guys are doing some excellent work at Stemify with this. What would you say to the frontline faculty looking to solve this challenge? What would that high level plan be? It's a great question, Saul. I think we have to think about, so now I'm going to change some role here and say, what is it that the faculty is looking for? Mm-hmm. Let's say that the faculty is looking for teaching a particular let's say, subject matter to a bunch of students. I think the first thing the faculty wants to know is whether what they are teaching is being understood by the students, which means we come to assessment immediately because you have to know whether what you have taught has been internalized by the students in the way you think it should have been internalized. When you do that, assessment becomes a very big part of what a faculty thinks of. So think about this. I went from thinking about students to faculty. So I'm giving you a faculty perspective here about assessment. Now the student is thinking about when an assessment is given, he's thinking he or she is thinking about the grades. But that's not what I'm saying as a part of assessment. I'm saying, I'm saying how well are you as a faculty able to assess the knowledge that you have just imparted to your students? So given the current situation, that assessment component has even become even more critical. Many times, uh, you know, I, I get into these conversations with different faculty and they say that, oh, I, I, I had a great exam. I said, oh, really? How do, you, how, how do you know that? And they say, oh, my average was a 75, 80. And I say, that's a numerical number. What does that really mean? Mm-hmm. And what does that mean for 
you as a faculty that your students have an average of 75 or 80 and what does it mean to a student to have gotten an 80 in the class so is there a mapping of what you just gave as a number to the concepts that you would have been able to say very uh, you know confidently that your students who got an 80 on their summative assessments have been able to solve a certain set of concepts confidently and i bring and believe me when i say this i bring in bloom's taxonomy here because that becomes a a, a very important part of discussion it is not always clear to people as to what that bloom's taxonomy is and i would say it has taken me a long time to really understand because it goes from the most bottom level where it says you know remember and recall facts all the way to create produce new original work mm-hmm. so you can imagine there is such a huge set of things that have to go like you have to go from remembering to understanding then to applying then to analyzing then to evaluating and then to creating i mean that's a pyramid that takes time for students to get there right but i would say for faculty who are frontline too the focus of where and how we are teaching and how we are making this happen is very critical it is not very simple in terms of understanding it but it is also important from uh, thinking about applying it to assessments so you're you're looking at assessment in a deeper more rich way far and, and beyond uh, just a numerical output you're you're wanting to tie it back to specific metrics that you could clearly state where my student is and what they're able to achieve and where they are in that taxonomy that you that you just described I mean that's the goal that's really the goal to uh, really pinpoint what aspects of I mean I'm just taking Bloom's taxonomy as an example there are multiple different research that have created other pathways also but um, you know of understanding how you uh, assess student knowledge and how you even when in your instruction how well are you creating opportunities for the students to make use of what you are saying to first you know understand which is basically to recall the facts and then to go ahead and uh, understand and apply them to different ideas or various think about one idea how it can be applied to different situations like using information in a new situation execute and implement and solve you know demonstrate interpret operate and schedule so these are some of the things that you think about when you are actually trying to ask students of how they are understanding some things you know it's not just a surface level number that says you're right you are an ad that's not it makes a lot of sense and so assessment is big what else would you include in that plan i the second while assessment is one part of it i think adaptive is very critical and when i say adaptive instruction i say this from a very uh, simple i'll give you an example sol mm-hmm. let's say that i am a student and i come to you you are a professor of medicine and i start asking you questions that are probably something that i should have learned in my first year as a biology student let's say and now i am actually doing something in medicine what you are going to do is you probably going to have if you are a patient instructor you are going to say okay i see where your gaps are and to give you instruction to fill those gaps so which means my instruction your instruction to me is different now the same thing happens in my setting when i have a student who comes to me and he starts solving a problem and gets it wrong doesn't understand something i am not asking that student to go and do 
the entire course in algebra 1 or algebra 2 or otherwise i'm asking i'm giving him an adaptive instruction that fits his gaps such a way that he can then proceed in a meaningful way so those are learning pathways i'm talking about and understanding the learning pathways so assessment is a big component of this the initial assessment gives you an understanding of where those gaps are and then you take that and you learn how to adapt your instruction as an instructor when you're doing office hours to make sure that the student now takes the steps that will help him in the current course or question that they are trying to answer so that's what i mean when you have assessment and then adaptive instruction we have a good measurement which means data analytics and measurement so that plays an extremely critical role in when you think about this as not just one student but one million students so there is the individual footprint of an individual student that allows you to understand what their their assessment their progression in instruction and their progress towards their goal has been now you take you zoom out and now you take everything at an average and start seeing how the data is interacting within itself to see differences of how students actually perform in different concepts and how can you as an instructor then adhere to the instruction that you need to provide these students either on an average or at an individual basis yeah that's uh that that's a really great way to do it and obviously tip of the iceberg there's so much more that we can cover and the good news here for everyone listening is that amit's going to be doing this on a weekly basis uh he or you know other hosts and and other guests will be here to talk about these things the plans and the opportunity to to make education better what what does the future look like if we're successful in the shift and in, in how we do things with online education and and what's the cost of that progress so that's a loaded question sol and i don't think i can uh, really provide an answer within the next few minutes to just you know but i'll i'll give you a idea of what a successful shift looks like in an online education first of all online education will always in my opinion be supplemental to what is in person interaction mm-hmm. that to me is priceless students get a lot out of an in person interaction now whether that in person interaction happens virtually that is a point to be seen but online education has a long way to go in terms of really understanding how students learn in an online setting there is a lot of research that has been done lot of research also shows that initiative and motivation is a huge huge factor in student success in online education so how do we create that initiative and motivation for students who are in an online setting is a big challenge for it to be successful and of course everything comes with a cost so what is that cost is for another uh, time but the most important thing that we have to remember is not all people learn the same way which means that when we talk about online education it's the delivery mechanism here the question is is that delivery mechanism going to be robust enough going to be mature enough such that today those students who are not good at online learning are going to find it comfortable and meaningful to be in that environment and to be successful so what that success looks like and how it will come about is going to take some time and it's going to take some responsibility on the part of the education system to understand how it can help 
students who are not used to an online uh, education delivery mechanism and yet be successful because it doesn't feel like it's online. It has that component that brings in the personalized uh, attention that a student gets when that student interacts with the teacher and more importantly, interacting with their peers. That is the single most important thing for how this becomes successful. How do we, how are we able to get that meaningful interaction in a community-based learning, not just at an individual level? That's insightful, Amit. And yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, it's not easy to, to tackle that on a 20-minute podcast here, uh, but I'm really excited to hear that you and your team are making this a, a weekly podcast to host leaders across the educational field to share their thoughts and inspirations so that we could explore this theme of access initiative and motivation to really look at, at education and stabilizing it and improving it for everyone. It's been an honor being here with you, and I certainly have learned a lot, and I'll be sure to, to continue tuning in. And for the listeners, uh, thank you for, for taking the time to tune in. And Amit, why don't you uh, leave us your, your closing thoughts here, and uh, excited to join you guys on the next one. Thanks, Saul. I, I really appreciate uh, helping us uh, you know, kick off this podcast. Uh, I'm certainly excited to share Again, these are my humble opinions and I don't believe that there is one right or wrong opinion. This is about a conversation about how we can, as a community, build together moving forward to help stabilize and improve the education for all.